Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 271, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by Yamaya's Apothecary at the Real Herb Market. Yamaya's line of herbal remedies and handcrafted botanicals are the best when the chips are down, or anytime you could use a little TLC. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash Yamaya's Apothecary. Mud Pie Design House. Don't be fooled by the lure of the easy website for your business from one of those builders. We deliver great sites for you that you own at Mudpod Design House. Visit them at mudpodesign.com. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Hi, Candace. Hey, Hi, Patrick. Patrick. Hi, gotcha, beat you. Um, it was kind of fun talking with um, Oshala Farms. Um, Elise and Jeff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. was like, you know, you listen to them and you're thinking to yourself, like we had said in the podcast, wow, oh, man, they just had the perfect job. I know, right? You know, they're it's out like there growing stuff. Job. They don't have to worry about animals, and they just do whatever they're doing. Out in the sunshine every day. They live day. down in southern so Oregon. Easy. So So easy. But, you know, it's I, not I easy. I mean, the reality is oh, obviously no. it's, it's mostly going to be a labor of love, and they're going to do it. And What do they say on Letter Kenny? Do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Right. And that's probably what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and they've got a great online store, and they you know, got a good presence, and that you know, made you think or made you come up with some ideas. And I thought they were pretty cool about, um, you know, the different paths yeah. into into herbalism. And, or not into herbalism, but the different, you know, herbalism itself is an umbrella. It's I'm, a giant word. Right. So what yeah. is, you know, if you want to say, I want to do something with herbs, what are those paths? So what are those paths? <laughs> what are those paths? I could sit here and list off path after path after path. I okay. Mean, the ones that are the obvious ones that we talk about a lot are becoming an herbalist, like a clinical herbalist and seeing people and giving people herbs or giving people suggestions for which herbs to try and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think a lot of us get started thinking that's what we're going to do. Right. And that may be great for some of us, but just like not everybody's suited to being a doctor or a nurse or a you know practitioner of some sort. Um, not everyone wants to be seeing patients, as it were, even though we can't legally call them patients. But, you know. Yes, I understand. I'm, I'm trying to be careful with language because, you know. Yes, I understand. Language can get you in big trouble. But but there's so many other avenues. I mean, the ones that one of the things that I looked at early on and didn't end up deciding to do for because it wasn't I wasn't suited to it as directly, I think, as I would have been better, is being an herbal maker. So someone who makes products and medicines. And, I mean, I use the term herbal maker because I'm trying to really get at the idea that's a wider base than just making medicine. Medicine is big, and there is a huge range of medicines that you can make, tinctures and oils and topicals and that sort of thing. But it always suggests a malady or a condition that you're trying to treat. Yeah, you're fixing something. Yeah, like you're fixing something that's broken. And that moves back into the whole modern medicine paradigm with pharmaceuticals and drugs and all of that. And the reality is that an awful lot of herbal makers make things that are helpful for preventing illness, preventing problems. You know, fire cider is one of the more obvious ones. It's a vinegar that's used... In a, we talk about it as a medicine, but it's really about preventing illness from happening in the first place. It helps to stave off you know, bacterial infections and quell 
you know, simple viruses like cold and flu and that sort of thing. But you get into other things that are more complicated, like skincare, for instance. I mean, some of the formulas that you use for skincare are really complicated, but they're not about creating a medicine to fix. They're about keeping what's there healthy and supporting it. Yes. Like, for instance, as we age, our skin becomes thinner and it's less elastic and it has less, like, oil. It can dry out. Yes, as I'm looking at my forearm going, oh, I need some herbals on that too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's so many herbal makers that make products that are specifically designed for skincare or for beauty. But it isn't just beauty. It's about health. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, I mean, it, especially when we um, look at, well, the herb market where we have a, a, quite a bit of, those products there, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's hair salves, uh, hair, there's, skin, there's skin salves, there's hair care products, there's even beard oil. I mean, there's yeah. so many things that um, are part of herbal products Yeah, yeah. that herbal makers create for you that are beyond just the internals. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, for a malady, something that's hurting you, herbals can be used for preventative for taking care of and for for helping to fix yeah yeah exactly so that's why i've been using the term herbal maker instead of you know herbal products or remedies or you know home remedies as much because herbal maker seems more right to me um so you know you got folks like that but there's also a whole variety of people who know a lot about herbs and herbalism that ranges beyond that i mean obviously farmers Wild crafters, people who gather and prepare herbs that are not in formulation, but that are the single herbs so that you can then use those in your formulas. Folks like, you know, Jeff and Elise. There's also people that do things like teach primitive skills, primitive living skills, which are essentially like the, we're going to drop you in the middle of the wilderness and all you've got is a stick and a knife (laughs) and if you're lucky, a tarp. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or a ball of string and, and you know, survive, you know, those, right. those, that's the extreme side of, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. primitive skills are about tracking and being aware in the woods or in the wild places and recognizing even in urban spaces what plants are around you and how you can make use of those for whatever you might need, whether that's food or medicine or, you know, prevention, luxury. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other uh, as uh, facet, you know, in, in herbalism and, and herbs is is being a grower, like yeah, uh, like they are, and you know they've chosen to, you know to grow quite a few things and then deal with you know creating strains and stuff that that grow well in their farm, you know, and that got us thinking as well. You know, growers are this this whole other aspect. Without the growers, you don't have the herbal products because you don't have the herbs, you know, per se, right. Yeah, well, it makes it a lot harder. Then you you get into places like Anna Rosa in Iceland where she's got to go out, find everything that she's going to use. So she's sourcing everything from her wild community, and then she's doing all of the making herself. So she's an herbal maker, but she's also a wild crafter and grower. Mm -hmm. You know, that she doesn't have the same level of farms that, you know, we have here in the Pacific Northwest where we've got so many amazing herbalists and i mean everything from little herb gardens like the one in my yard to you know places like oshala farm that are 
huge and yeah and, and well I'm, I'm a little more specialized you yeah, know yeah. i think you, you know you and i when we we plant a garden for instance um, we typically will say well do we really need to plant onions i mean we can right. buy onions at 79 cents a pound organic onions at 99 cents a pound yeah even yeah it, do is it worth it carrots organic carrots you know yeah two pounds you worth know for it. five bucks right and we'll get these carrots so is it worth it to us to plant those right crops versus you know asparagus or um, you know heirloom tomatoes, or you know any of the harder to grow, more expensive produce at the market. Right. So same thing with like uh, with our herbal side. You know, if you're going to come up with an herbal grow for your for your place, you know, let's talk about the low hanging fruit, mint family, massively easy to grow. Right. You got to be careful. You know, you can't just just throw a seed and then hope because it'll grow it'll grow everywhere and then you'll have a mint farm oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. but but <laughs> the point is is that's easy to grow so why would you why would you go spend money for it it's yeah. very easy to grow. yeah it. go go to right. oshala farms for the stuff that or whatever your favorite yeah. farm is for the stuff that doesn't grow in your area for right. the stuff that you can't grow because your space is too small or or yeah exactly so know, yeah right so you know if you're going to grow or you're going to do you know herbs and do your own thing. You know, you want to grow something. Grow the grow the things that are easy for you and and don't really you know they're easy to get. Versus like with the Oshala, where you're going to say I'm going to get these specialized stuff. These, these, more, yeah. these more herbs that are grown for medicinal reasons. I guess I would say medicinal or magical purposes. That's another one. I mean, yeah, that's another one. That's another actually. That's a whole another career in itself is moving into the magical and shamanic and does a lot the spiritual element or aspect of working with herbs and plants and oh yeah i mean if you think about it like when you do a when you do a smudge stick or you do a sage or you do whatever those are all ritual and they're all using Mm -hmm. you know herbs to to do that it's also amazing to me you know people will go to the store and they will buy you know uh, something from from a major um far uh, not pharmaceutical major um Commercial, commercial care, manufacturing, manufacturing like, like shampoo and skincare and all that stuff. And on their bottles, they'll be touting all of their herbal stuffs. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and you look at that, and then all around those herbal stuffs are all of these chemicals. Right. You know, yeah. for the sudsing and for the for the thickness the and stuff. for the yeah. color and for the, you know, and and by the time you actually get to what or what's in there for for herbals, I know it's very very small. It's a but paragraph of chemicals and then like two lines at the bottom with the actual herbs. Right. And they're always at the end, like the smallest amount of what's in exactly, there. Exactly, because yeah. they're usually the most maybe the most expensive ingredients. And yet people will buy those and think, oh, these guys know what they're doing. Yeah. And I mean, if you really want really good crafted herbal products from herbal makers that know what they're doing, I mean. Oh, yeah. There was, uh, there's a series of lotions that I bought and it's, it's, they're made by a small herbalist maker Mm -hmm. and each one is infused with Reiki energy. And when I first bought them, I chose them because I was like, oh, these smell nice. You know, and they're they're very you know basic elements. Is that the rose one you put on? That's one of the ones. Yeah, know. there's three of the three <laughs> different smells, the three different ones. And but the thing is that when I first put them on, I was astounded by how different the feeling of that lotion was from any other lotions that I've had or had had at that point. And certainly, it was much more you know nurturing. And the one that I happened to be using was Earth. It was the name of the lotion. So mm-hmm. it was supposed to be grounding and nurturing and all of that. But it was the energy put into it made a difference, made a big difference in how that 
made me feel when I was using it. And if I had not known that, you know, the bottle didn't say Reiki infused, I still would have noticed that this, this lotion was different. And I might not have been able to say why, just that it was different. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. It mm-hmm. was good. So that's part of the, like, the magical part that comes into a lot of, like, herbal product making. But there's also the ceremonial kinds of magic, like what Leslie Korn practiced or talks about is, you know, creating ritual around herbs and herbalism to help us with whatever it is, whether it's facing a challenge in life or looking at a transitional time, like, you know, a ceremony for helping your child grow into adulthood and Mm -hmm. recognize your child as an adult or whatever, you know, marriages, births. These are some really obvious areas that we have ceremony. But we also, as herbalists, there are many practitioners who do ceremony around things like helping people reconnect with the spirit of their ancestry so that they can get the deeper healing that they need and feel less out of place wherever it is they are in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times plants will help us on that. So that's that in itself is like a whole that magical, shamanic, mystical element. That that's got its whole set of herbal path, you know. And then there's, you know, the obvious teaching and speaking at conferences and stuff like that. And a lot of people from all the different types of herbalism, especially the people that do like clinical practice. Do you think, do you think do um, people that want to get into the herbal industry make a mistake feeling that they have to do everything? I think so. I think it's hard to not because we have this myth of, it's like the starving artist myth. The mm-hmm. starving, starving herbalist myth seems to be a part of, the lore around being an herbalist so that you can do this for the love of it. But somehow if you don't, if you make money at it, you should be ashamed or only the few chosen get to make money at it. Everybody else has to struggle. Right. I mean, I've, I've heard that I've seen, I've seen a lot of herbalists living that, you know, if you think about it in a purely business sense, um, you, you focus on, one aspect and be really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I find myself, you know, you know, getting into that sometimes to where, you know, there's the opportunities to make some money somewhere and you get sidelined or sidetracked on that idea that I'm going to make this money over here. And really it's just making a bit of money instead of saying, no, 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 that's not the, that's there. Yes, I could do that. But that's robbing me from over here and I need to focus on this. Yeah, because this is the core, and this is what's going to make the most money for me, and you know, or or make a living for me. If it's not money about money, about making a living for yourself. Yeah, and I I can see that you know even with me, and if you know, and somebody else that's in the industry goes, well, hey, I have to do lectures, I, I have to do books, I have to do herbal, you know, herbal products, I, I have to have a website, I have to teach, and before you know it, you've gone so far, and you've you've put all these pokers in this fire that you have to keep tending or all these little fires that you have to keep tending. Yeah. And then you'll, you know, this one gets up a little bit, but then these other three or four go down and then you think, oh my God, I'm going to lose that opportunity over there. So you go back over there and it's always tending little fires instead of tending one main fire. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, to you, Candice and everyone who might be listening, I struggle with the same thing. I'm one of those, I'm like a dog when I see a squirrel, squirrel, 
you know, and I just, yeah. my head turns the other way. And um, I'm even dealing with that in my own personal life is, you know, how to focus on what is the best way for me to move forward and not get um, sidetracked by the shinies yeah, right. that are over here, you know, um, and, and that's, and that, and, and that's a, that's a life lesson. That's really hard. And, you know, and it's, and it's hard not to go down that temptation, you know, but when you think about what you want to do as an herbalist or anything else, is, is that the thing? And if it is, then you focus there. Don't get yeah. overwhelmed with feeling that the only way I can make it is if I do all of these things. Yeah. I mean, I've heard people describe herbalism as, oh, you know, it's my calling. And then they're doing a thousand different types of herbalism. They're doing the shamanic stuff and they're making products and they're seeing people and they're trying to write a book. And then they're also trying to, you know, build a, a website and a blog and, and do YouTube and a whole ton. Of, you know, they're doing it from every possible angle. And their calling apparently is to exhaustion. Hmm. I mean, you can't sustain that without a really healthy team. And to get to the point where you have a really healthy team, like someone like Rosemary Gladstar has, you have to have focused yourself in the beginning. Right. And that was something that Jeff and Elise talked about, that they they, they themselves, even knowing that their, their calling is farming and they're going to farm, and their farming is going to be herbs, and they've already decided they're not going to have animals as a part of their farming paradigm. Okay, great. You'd think, okay, great. It's simple. It's obvious. And even then they said, you know, they get the lure of, oh, we could get this really big, you know, account with this with the, this company or that one or whatever that mm, yeah. wants to pay us all this money for this product. And does it meet our mission? Right. And that, that ha coming back to what is your mission? I mean, what is your mission? That That's an important question to answer. Yeah, that was thrown around in the in the 90s a ton. Yeah. Early yeah. 2000s, the mission statements. And um, everybody had to have a vision and a mission and the, you know, that stuff. the three values. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's value in that. Yeah. And now, even though I, I joked about it at the time, I said, really, is this, this, you know, we're an outdoor newspaper. Do we have, that's really our mission? That's yeah. our vision? Yeah. You know, it doesn't, whatever. But now I understand later is that that's what helps you give you focus and what yeah. ends up helping you make decisions because you can say, does that new opportunity foster our mission and our vision? Yes. If the answer is yes, then let's go with it. If the answer is no, then somebody else should do it. Yes. And yeah. that's the hardest thing in, in, in any business, in any endeavor. Yeah, saying it is no. saying no, especially when the opportunity before you looks like it could be so lucrative. Right. And especially when you've said no in the past and then watched somebody else who may not even be someone you know, they may be no connection, but they had the same opportunity and they went with it and now they're millionaires. Yeah. And you're back going, I could have done that. Yeah. But the thing is, is that yeah, could you could, couldn't because it didn't follow your your mission. We're excited to announce that Silver Creek Springs is opening here at the Real Orb Market. Lisa Kofakis brings years of practical experience with skincare, healing the bumps and bruises that come from living an active lifestyle and trusting in the plants to her line of botanicals. We know you're going to love the power and simplicity of her herbal blends. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash silver dash creek dash springs. 
Exactly. You know, and, and as we're talking, you know, today we had a, um, you and I actually had a discussion that, you know, we've been meaning to have. <laughs> For a but long not time. Like, <laughs> like, it's not like something that we said, you, you, we have to have a talk. <laughs> no. you, know, you know, let's sit down at and, noon and talk about our future. <laughs> it was more organic in the way that it happened. And that's when we started to, you know, because, you know, you and I are both 50. Yeah. You know, and you're and hey, actually, and, you're not supposed to tell everyone that. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I look every bit of 50. You don't. Um, so so because I follow the path of the earth. <laughs> there you go. Um, anyway, the, the point of it was that. You get to a, a point in your life, and you know. Even I went uh, golfing with my friends this morning, and and we were talking about that because another one of my friends is turning fifty in September. Yeah, and you know, he we him and I had a conversation a while back, and he's like, you know, everything you said is coming true for me. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? He says, he said, I'm fifty, and I'm, I'm I'm I got young kids, and I'm and I'm I'm racing around, and I don't have. I don't have anything set. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know what's going on. And I have about 15 really, you know, productive, good years that I might be able to count on. Yeah. And then after that, it's kind of the unknown. Yeah. You know, because, you know, and he's like, it's starting to freak me out a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, so maybe I'll be seeing him running around with a Corvette in a couple days. I don't know. But but, (laughs) but the whole point is that we get to this age and that's when we start to really say, okay, I got to do this or I'm not going to do this. Yeah. It's like when we decided to move to Oregon. It was it, the issue was at the age we were at, we were at 30, early 30s, and we said, "Okay, if we don't do this now, then we may never We'll never do this." Because yeah. the time we hit 40, I was not at that point I'm not I'm not moving. Yeah. At 30, I was still young enough to say I could I could recover from it if yeah. it was a mistake, yeah. whatever, I could make it happen. Yeah. At 50, it's a lot harder to make those kind of moves and those kind of changes. Because your window of recovery is a little bit lower, a little bit lower. At the very least, it feels that way. Sure. Maybe Maybe the reality is that it's every bit as hard at 30 as it is at 50 to pick up, move across the country to a place you've never been and you don't know anybody. Maybe it's equally hard. but There's different we, challenges for sure. We definitely have a mindset as Western human beings raised in America that once you hit 50, you better be planning that retirement real fast. Well, yeah. One, it's expensive to live here, and two, uh, in our country anyway, age is not valued. No, it's, it's you know a you you roll into a place for yeah. a job interview and you've got gray hair. That's a tough one. Yes, yes, and a lot of my friends who are older talk about being invisible, yep. and it pretty much, as far as I can tell, women go invisible sometime between age fifty-five and sixty, at which point they are only seen as grands. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. So I know we've sidetracked a bit from, yeah. <laughs> so, from business and stuff, but the point but, is, is that we bring it all back around that there are there are many herbal paths of business or, or herbal paths if you want to go on to become an herbalist or and many ways to make a living inside there, and you yeah. don't have to do them all. So I had an idea. Okay. We could do like an exercise to sort of illustrate the type of thinking as an herbalist or someone who desires a herbalist lifestyle that you need to really adopt as you start to make your choices about what career or how you want to make money or how you want to experience herbs and work with them, even if it's not about your career. Because there are a lot of people that are herbalists who don't make money at it, and it's fine. Yeah, they just they, do it because they, they love do to do they, it. Yeah, it's, it's a way of living. Right. So this is one that marries the idea of focus with a very practical aspect of herbalism, gardening. Okay. 
So you've got a garden. It is whatever size it is. Some of us have the luxury of several acres and other of us have like two pots on the back patio, possibly in the shade. You know, it's a wide range. But you know what size you have in your garden. You know what space you've got to work with. You can go out and stand out in the garden and see, is there sunlight? Is it, does it get rain? All of that, those things. And you can choose your herbs that you're going to grow based on those things, which you should. But there's another element that you can think about, and it was one that you hit on earlier, which is how expensive is it for to get the herbs that you're interested in? Which herbs should you grow at home? Even after you've eliminated everything that doesn't fit the space that you already have, you still have a wide variety of herbs that are potentials. Mm-hmm. So how do you choose which ones to grow and which ones to source from somewhere else? And Are you asking me? I'm telling or, you okay. that this is, this is the exercise that is a very practical one. And there are things that you can think about when you're doing it. What should I buy from, what should I buy and what should I grow is the question. Right. So if you, Patrick, were trying to narrow down which herbs you should buy and which you should grow, what are some of the factors you might consider? Um, probably ease of grow, ease of propagation for me, because I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to ritualistically tend the garden. Yes. So I would want plants and herbs that um, like to be ignored a bit. That's an excellent one. And people who are beginners and haven't done a growing of a lot of herbs are wise to choose things that are likely to grow pretty easily with like, a wide variety a of tolerant care. and, you know, yeah. a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And yeah, I, I would. Yeah. And, and, and for me, because I like to cook, I would probably do more culinary herbs for me. Right. So that's would be a lot things. of. Yeah. And, and culinary herbs oftentimes are expensive. Oh, Parsley yeah, the, isn't necessarily, no. but rosemary, bay, thyme, thyme oregano. oregano. Yeah, any of the things that you get in those little plastic containers. <laughs> yes, in the ridiculous plastic containers. Yeah. This. So those are all really good choices. They're also all plants that are very drought tolerant and resistant. And, right, and besides. And they take a wide variety of, you know, they've thrived even in my garden, which I don't <laughs> do a very good job of remembering to they care. They thrive so many spots. Yes. I love my volunteer oregano. I, I hunt that out. We had spaghetti the other night. I went to hunt out the oregano that's growing in the worst possible part of the lawn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it is the most potent. Because <laughs> it does well. And the mint family. Right. Which a lot of those herbs are. Sage, uh, rosemary, I think is, if I remember right. A lot of them are the, herb, the mint family. And the mint family tends to grow well in a whole lot of conditions. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. I mean, one of the things I love about um, our little area is like, we have wild growing lemon balm everywhere. Yeah. We, we don't grow, we don't like, we haven't. You don't we, have to actually plant it. Yeah, we haven't seeded it. It just is there. And what I love about it is that every time you walk by it, it's just this blast of lemon. Yeah. I yeah. love that. That's yeah. lovely. Refreshing. I, you know, it's really refreshing. Yeah. Another, anyway. another thing that I thought about when I was thinking about this question earlier was flowers are, I was thinking about, you know, what are the parts of the plants that you harvest? Like flowers are really, you, you need to, harvest them and dry them just right you can't you don't you want your flowers to be vibrant so like calendula that you buy in many commercial settings is orangey yellowish with a tinge of that sort of brown Mm semi-lifelessness 
And if you've actually grown even just a single calendula and dried just one flower, you can see that when it's dried, you know, when you do it, air dry it at home, it will, it's, it's, the color is so much more vibrant. So a lot of times flowers are that way, where if you dry your flowers at home, you're going to end up with a much better herb than if you dry buy dried flowers. Sure. So flowers are a good one to grow for it. So like calendula and chamomile and yarrow, you know, those are three really good examples of flowers that are fairly easy to grow and that you can probably dry yourself better than commercial growers are going to be able to. So that would be a good one for growing. Roots, on the other hand, are oftentimes ones that I would say, get those from a farm like Oshala Farm. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the space and they're willing to devote the time and energy it takes to grow those roots, especially a lot of the traditional Chinese herbals. Those roots yeah. are ones that do literally require three to five years before you harvest them. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time. Yeah, you're not going yeah. to grow burdock in a container garden typically. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of them, like burdock and dandelion root, you might be able to find. And people around your, your local farmers might be like, yeah, please take that. <laughs> right. We're happy that you came to dig this up and take it away. Right. But when you start getting into things like Romania root and peony root, those are things that I personally, if I'm going to grow peonies in my garden, I'm growing them because they're beautiful and I love them and the flowers are edible and I can enjoy them. And I'm unlikely to want to dig them up and remove them right? because I don't have a big space for peonies. I have maybe two foot by one foot, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, the, the length from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow and then twice that in the other direction, you know, small. And if that's all the space I've got, I don't want to grow that for five years and then rip it out just so that I can harvest the roots and start again? Yeah, no, exactly. So, so it, it make, like you said, it makes sense to, to really assess your situation and what you have and what you want to do. Yeah. So roots and bark is another one. Bark is another one that I've thought that might be better done with a farmer because a place like, you know, Jeff and Elise, they know how to take care of their trees. They're going to know how to take care of their trees, harvest bark and twigs responsibly, and make sure the tree survives and does well and thrives. Harvesting bark is one of those things that you, you really should know what you're doing. You don't want to harvest bark from young trees. There's a lot of things that you can do that's really bad. It's important. Timing is important. How you harvest it's important. Mm -hmm. You know, just being responsible and caring to the life of the tree is really takes knowledge. It takes skill. So that's one of those things. And trees are big. Yeah. You know, and it depends on how much bark you, you need. But, you know, if you're making something that requires, you know, regular amounts, like you're going to be making a lot of whatever it is, you're making a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, tincture for pain relief and therefore using a lot of willow bark and possibly a lot of other types of barks. That might be something that would be better off if you purchased it from a good responsible farm rather than going out and harvesting from your own land or even trying to wild harvest because you're going to want a higher quantity of it potentially, which means you are taking from an environment. And if everybody's taking from that same environment, the trees will die. Mm -hmm. So buy from the farmer. Let them manage that, you know. Yeah. 
Did you have some other ideas? No, I think I think you kind of covered it. I, I think just assessing what you what area you have to grow, choosing the best possible herbs for um, um, that'll be possible, and then you know if there's any kind of um, special. Or, you know, a special type of herb that you oh, like. Yeah. You know, like, you know, yes. you can't get a hold of it. You know, um, Spilanthes comes to mind. Yes, that's exactly. That's a perfect one because I did that a couple of years ago. I had a little patch of Spilanthes where we live. It's an annual. So I knew it wasn't going to survive. And it was an experiment. So I had this little patch and I harvested flowers and I made tincture. And I ended up with like, Maybe a cup of tincture, so like, you know, 250 milliliters, eight ounces, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. And then I had a small bag of flowers, so enough to make maybe that much more tincture. And I don't really have a lot of call for spilanthes. We don't have a lot of aches and pains that pop up. Spilanthes is really good for numbing. It's often, it's called toothache plant because it's often used specifically for pain revolving around the mouth. Right. So, but it... It's not something that my family experiences a lot of, and I. But I have had a couple of people ask. So I just this week, someone that we I made a toothache formula for, um, a couple years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Finally contacted contacted me through you actually. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "Hey, you know, you make more of that stuff." Right. And, 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 you know, so exactly. And that's, so, yeah, I, I, you know, whipped up that little batch of that, you know, just the total ounce of the formula, which used up almost, I've got one more batch of this Balanthe stuff left, but I grew it that one year. It was a fun little experiment. To get good Spilanthes isn't necessarily easy. It's not a super popular herb. No, it, it isn't. If you, I mean, if you look at if you look for it, it's going to be harder to find. Yeah, exactly. So that was one that was like perfect to make at home. It mm -hmm. was fine. It was just a tiny little experimental thing, you know. So that's a perfect one for growing at home. Something small and specialized. Lubilia was another one, isn't it? Yeah, Lubilia. that's another one that I experimented with, and I have just a tiny amount of tincture from that year of experiment. And it's not one that I use a lot of. Um, partly that one's a really, that's a potent little herb and it's kind of unpredictable. So <laughs> I use it when I'm making things that are related to breathing, like for hay fever, allergy season, mm -hmm. it's part of the blend that I use for myself. And for, you know, I've, I've given bits, small amounts of lobelia to friends who were, you know, building their own blends for either allergies or asthma. And I think in one case there was a bronchitis type of clearing of the lungs mm -hmm. but it's you know just a tiny amount will last an awfully long time right so that's the kind of stuff that if you're going to look for herbs you know and you have a you want to experiment i mean that's some interesting yeah. stuff you know? and then there's specialized ones that farms are better at oh yeah like for instance chase tree i mean chase tree is not a huge tree it's actually a fairly small one it's like the size of a dwarf apple tree but the number of chased berries you get off of that thing is phenomenal. I mean, that's enough for an army for like five years, an army of people, you know, there's so many and you don't need that much chased berry for whatever you're doing. And it's a very specialized, specific fertility issue herb. So maybe don't plant chased berry on your own property or in your own garden, unless you happen to have a really huge need for it maybe buy that from a farmer 
Ginseng is yeah. another one where it's not really, there are some people like Phyllis Delight who comes from a tradition of harvesting, harvesting ginseng, wild harvesting. Right. And they have made a relationship with the land and the space that they're in and all of that. But for the most part, a majority of us should not be looking for ginseng in the wild. We should be either buying it or um, growing it. Mm -hmm. And growing it's really, really tough. That's a like super advanced herb. So for most of us, something like ginseng is a better, better off to purchase that. And if you're an advanced gardener and you want to give it a try, by all means do. And maybe try it in honor of increasing the spirit or, or feeding the spirit of ginseng in your area or connecting with it rather than, hey, I'm going to grow this ginseng so I can use the root as medicine in five years. <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah, I like that you, you said the specialized stuff. That's, that's a really good one. So there you go. So those are the, that, I mean, that really kind of sums up the whole idea of herbs, herbalism, the paths to do it, the growing and not growing and all the things that, that Oshala Farm has made us think about yep. over the last week or so. Yeah, but getting your vision and your focus. Yes, your vision and focus is important. Um, we we do have an herbal one hundred and one question that we can uh, that we can we can talk about. This came from our our um, our website, practicalherbs.com. And the nice thing about that is, you know, we have a little a little icon on that little front page. Just click on that, a little form pops up, and you can uh, write your little question right there, and it comes right to us. And maybe one day you might do that, and someone will answer immediately. <laughs> but not today. So this question comes. Um, very simple. comes from Patricia. And Patricia asks, can Kratom salve be used to relieve toothache? That is a very interesting question. And that one was um, attached to specifically, I think, the Kratom salve recipe that we have on the Practical Herbalist. Right, which is a topical that we developed yes. for a friend of ours who had hip pains. Yes, yes. And he said it was amazing. Yes. But I didn't, when I saw the question, I'm like, how are you going to put salve in your mouth? Yeah, and that's the first thing I would say is it's, I don't know if Kratoms, this particular Kratom salve or any Kratom salve will work for tooth pain. I don't have specific actual practical experience with that. But I can imagine that it could be helpful, but you could only put it on, of course, topically outside your mouth. So your on your bone, cheek, on your jaw. jaw. Yeah. You know, on the tissues near where the tooth is, especially where the tooth's root might be, mm -hmm. I could see where that could be potentially helpful. Um, Kratom is not traditionally used as a toothache specific. It's it's usually used for more muscle aches, but it, that also includes arthritic and bone joint aches. Um, toothache well, I mean, is toothache's a challenging one. I mean, there's, sure. there's a lot of different reasons why you might have a toothache. I think, you know, on, on the, before we go into, into some of the other things there, I think why she may be thinking Kratom is the general idea that the way Kratom works in your body, it's like it kind of envelops you in this kind of warmer feeling. Yeah. It relaxes. And that could be one of those things that, that it could be could yeah. be why she would be considering this for her toothache. Right. Or a toothache. But I think you might have some other ideas. Well, the first thing that I am going to say as a responsible herbalist is see a dentist. Always see a dentist. Yeah, get some x-rays or something. If you don't know for sure why your tooth is aching, see a dentist. If you do know for sure why your tooth is aching, you may still want to see a dentist. Mm -hmm. um, 
when a toothache is connected with a bacterial infection, it can turn into cavities, abscess, you may need root or uh, root canal, that sort of thing, heavy dental work. You know, those are all things that herbs aren't going to cure. Exactly. And there's, I mean, there are herbal things you can do to support healing in those situations, but an abscess is an abscess. You need a dentist, you know. But there are other reasons why your tooth could be aching or why one can get a toothache that are not actually related to the obvious cavities, abscess, et cetera, broken tooth, any of those obvious big dental problems. And that was something that came as a surprise to me when I was in my early 40s, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, an acupuncturist made an offhanded comment to me about how toothache can be connected to kidney channel. And at the time, I, the one thing I didn't want to admit because I was really afraid of going to the dentist was that I had a very mild toothache in one specific tooth. And when he made that offhanded comment, I said, oh, well, which one? And he pointed to him like, oh, that's the tooth that's been kind of aching me. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned it to him and he did included that in the treatment. And sure enough, it took care of the toothache and and the other associated parts of that pattern. So toothache can be connected to things like the kidney channel. There's also um, something with stomach fire rising and wind heat. Um, and I'm not familiar enough with all the various patterns associated. But if you have a toothache and you've seen the dentist and the dentist says, I don't know what's wrong with it. I can't see anything wrong. There's nothing on x-rays, whatever. Then the next stop in my thinking would be go see a Chinese medicine practitioner, possibly an acupuncturist or Chinese herbalist, because they may have something to help that because it might be related to one of these other types of channels or patterns. So that's a possibility. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, the general herbal approaches that you can take toward toothache. And those work for both types, but they're really symptomatic. Mm -hmm. They're not about getting to the root of the cause. So when you're looking at the herbal approach, there's a variety of herbs that are good. And the obvious ones that we usually think of are like splanthes, like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, numbs really, right. really well and doesn't take a lot. Clove oil is another one. When people talk about, or dentists often, I mean. Yeah, well, yeah, orthodontics use, use it a lot. Yeah, and they're, they're using clove essential oil. Mm -hmm. Choose the organic kind, you know. Right. Um, but spolanthes and clove oil are really good for numbing the area. Right. Um, both of them have a certain amount of antibacterial properties to them as well. So they will both numb and help to fight off any bacterial infections that might be starting there. I also want to think about the, I think of them as the salicylic acid herbs, willow bark being the most obvious ones. Mm -hmm. But these are the ones that have the same component that aspirin is derived from. Right. And that includes willow bark and meadowsweet, which are the like classic combination that I always think of. But there's other, other ones like poplar or black haw, cramp bark, wintergreen. Those herbs also have a certain percentage of salicylic acid in them. So those, any of those paired with a little bit of clove oil or some spilanthes can be helpful for handling the pain portion of it. And then as an herbalist, I would also say, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to consider adding some antibacterial herbs to your blend. So things like Oregon grape root or golden seal. I 
tend toward Oregon grape root over golden seal because golden seal was over harvested. And while it's, I don't think, still endangered, Oregon grape root grows with ease and prolifically. And you can get it commercially easily. So I'd say go for that if, if you can. Um, calendula, myrrh, echinacea, sage, coptis, these are mm-hmm. all antibacterial herbs that are really good and often included in, you know, toothache blends. Um, on the practical herbalist, we've done a couple of different things where we've talked about dental health and herbal care for dental health. One of them is the um, podcast number 26 of Real Herbalism Radio, which is on herbal dental care. Mm. So that would be a good one to tune into. Um, then we also have a couple of uh, recipes that I can put on. I'll put them on the show note links. Okay. One of them is called Heavy Duty Herbal Dental Rinse for Dry Socket. And this is one that Sue tried out. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> she got to use that one. Yeah. I think as herself and on her son, if yeah. I remember right. You're glad you it's have a, it, but you don't want to use it. Yeah, glad, I'm glad somebody else got to write that right. recipe, right? right? And then she also wrote a, an herbal first aid page on dry socket and how to handle that. And a lot of the stuff that you do for dry socket is akin to what you do when you don't know why your tooth is aching. Mm-hmm. But you also make an appointment with the dentist. Right. And then there's also an immune booster mouth rinse, which is a really good one for more general staving off of bacterial infections, including the bacterial stuff that causes um, gum disease and gingivitis and that begins dental cavities and caries. So it's a good preventative. It's less on the, you know, I've already got a toothache and I've got to fix it side. So I can include those links and... Definitely, Patricia, I'd encourage you to look at, you know, some alternatives if it's not a clearly a dental thing um, and consider some, you know, making your own herbal blend to help tide you through and get you through any dental work that needs to be done. Definitely go see the dentist. It would always, always the dentist is the first stop when you're dealing with toothaches, mouth pain, soreness of the tissues, gums, or bones of the mouth. Because honestly... They know what they're doing. They they recognize those crisis level stuff things fast. Yeah, and usually by the time it's hurting your mouth, it's already it's gone really to progressed. A point. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. All right. Well, with that, put, put an herb, herb on, on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration (FDA). They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, Questions or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.